All right, let's get started. Easy. So this is Sight to Studio episode five. Thank you for coming down, Ritz. Girl, Ritz. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Nervous, huh? This is being filmed? Yeah, it's being filmed there. So should I look at the camera then? I've had my back to the camera, Charlie. Yeah, that's okay. We're good now. Okay. <laughs> so we don't have much time. So yep. could you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. Uh, I am a co-director at Ritz and Gagassian Architects. We do both interiors and architecture and I handle the architectural projects in the studio and Jean-Paul will handle interior design projects in the studio but it's definitely you know, not a one's yours, one's mine. Uh, we approach everything in a holistic manner and so every project has a thorough interior and architecture um, design uh, ethos behind them. Right. So just pulling back a few years, I guess, how did you get into architecture? I studied, originally I actually studied uh, engineering and economics at Monash. And whilst they were interesting, I knew they weren't right. <laughs> I just kind of flowed through them and, and uh, eventually... I just wanted to graduate so I could start. I, I knew I decided uh, architecture is what I need to be doing. So I sorted out my graduation and then Melbourne were offering a postgrad in architecture, which appealed to me because it means I didn't have to do all the, the preamble of subjects that you do to get acquainted, you know, with the university. A lot of them I think are great, but you don't need, you know, it's sort of if you've done one, you've done them all. And... Um, so I did, I, did a, I did a couple of design subjects outside of a degree as part of, I think it was the Bachelor of Environments and loved it. And I used those subjects and that design work that I did as part of my portfolio and applied to Melbourne along with my academic transcripts and an essay and, you know, all that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, got in, loved it. Like I knew as soon as I started, this is what, this is what I should be doing. It's just a click. You just feel it. And um, went through that. Thoroughly enjoyed university, studying architecture. Started uh, to think about work as well because I remembered when I, when I graduated with economics, the one thing I remember is that I always thought to myself I didn't do enough internships when I was studying. So learning from that, I, I went out straight away after my first – it was a three-year course. After the first year, I, I had an internship at – plus architects and again that just set just something i put on the on the resume i get a lot of students asking me like now have graduated they go oh you know if you can't employ me what can i do to get to get work and i think it's it's about preparing it's not just what can i do at the end of my degree it's like well you, you should have started mm-hmm. a, a while back and so it's being proactive like that and um i did that and I started working then, uh, got another internship the following year at a small studio called Architecture Works in South Melbourne. And John and Stephen uh, were great to me, looked after me. And, um, but being a small studio and, and being a student, they needed someone who had to commit a bit more. So I then needed something in my final year. And in my final year, I got an internship with Woods Baggett through a friend of a friend who put me in contact with someone there. And again, they were fantastic. From day one, 
they looked after me and um, I kept on telling them. I said, you know, when I graduate, I want a job. So they gave me a job when I graduated and uh, a couple of years later I was getting registered. I was working at um, Room 11 who's rebranded as Edition Office. They sort of split from their Hobart studio. And um, from them I learned some great detailing and uh, with a few projects uh, that JP, my business partner, had in the works, we could go off on our own and, and set up our studio. So we set up Ritz and Gagassian. I'm the Ritz, he's the Gagassian. And um, we created a studio based off what was initially a lot of hospitality projects. Uh, now we shifting gears a little bit into some larger commercial projects we're doing residential we're doing multi-residential i kind of like to think we take on anything being a small studio every project is unique so it's not like we get we have any formulas to create one project after the next after the next but that's the sort of yeah that's a little backstory of of me right so you launched the business in 2016 yeah what have been some of the core business challenges that you've experienced or are currently dealing with i think the biggest challenges i find is actually every time we want to expand a little bit you know like employing people okay well how do we do that you know um moving offices okay you know or, or, you know all of a sudden we went from a shared space to an, our own office you you, you quickly realize oh i've got there's these other bills you got to pay you know so it's like the business side of things those growing pains every time we we shift up a gear it's, it's those things that, that, that are a little tricky. But, you know, having a great accountant helps. Don't, do the, don't manage things you don't know about yourself, you know. Mm. Trust an expert. Um, what else is tricky? Good consultants can be tricky. You know, finding um, the right mix of engineers, building surveyors, town planners. Trusting trades as well. Like yourself, I can trust Charlie, you Thank know. You. Um, but but it's, it's understanding that because you, 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 in a way, when it comes down to, like, say, the architectural side of things, you want to draw something up, but you also want to understand how someone like yourself is going to put it together, you know. And so there's that art. What I enjoyed when we did uh, My Brother's Cabinet was actually the, the shop drawing process because I think that's where things are resolved. I'll draw something to a point and then a steel fabricator or a joiner will or a window supplier will, will will kind of complete the picture and then I'll check that, you know, and we'll work together to complete the image. So there's that understanding on, on the architectural side of things and the interior design side of things. Right. So you mentioned about scaling in uh, labour resources, hiring people. That's something even in sort of the architectural genre space that I really struggle with the idea of, you know, you hire someone, mm. but then you lower profit margins or can you rely on this person most importantly to do the work to carry yeah. out the vision? Yeah. So in a creative studio, yeah. that sort of that challenge almost seems insurmountable to me. So how do these big firms scale and how do they how, how do they do that? Well, Big firms, I think everyone would probably do it differently. I mean, I, I know that they'll just th they've got they've got resources. They can just throw resources at a at an HR team to to put together you know experienced um, architects or experienced building designers, 
professionals to get the job done. But from a small business point of view, it's a little bit more challenging. And I think the onus always comes directly back on to myself or JP, for example, because at the end of the day, I'm not going to hire someone experienced because I need to, I need to hire somebody who's going to, um, I want, I want to teach someone how to do it my way, you know? And I think that, uh, that's tricky because I've got to teach them first of all, the software that we're using potentially, but also the way in the methodology in which I like to work, you know, scaling in, scaling out, doing things at different scales and making sure that the details picked up at the right point. So there's no point having a big fuzzy section at one to 100, mm. you know, you want to make sure the drawings are clear. And so you're not putting the detail in at one to 100, you might be putting the detail in at one to 10, you know, that's when you want to make sure the drawings are millimeter perfect. And it's just understanding that process and that's time consuming. We've hired two people this year and um, a lot of my day gets eaten up answering their questions, teaching them mm. the way I want to do it. I guess in the long run, that's going to pay off because assuming they stay on with us, that they've learned how to do it and it's starting to save me time. So it's a, it's a chance you take. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so you're finding that the management costs associated with employing people is quite significant. Mm. in that early stage because you, you have to invest heavily sure. into training yeah. these people to yeah. make sure that um but how good is good enough i guess so i i, I sense from you that you are a quote-unquote perfectionist so are you are, do you grapple with this idea of well my employee only needs to be 80 percent as good as me or do you expect no I, perfection quote-unquote well yeah i mean I don't expect perfection because I think that things are always a work in progress. Nothing is set in stone. Um, even when a building's built, it's never completed. In a sense, it's aging, it's changing, it's adapting, it's shifting in the ground. You know, it's, everything's always in flux. Um, but what I do like is that when we're drawing something up, that, yeah, dimensions are clean. Things are drawn, you know, if I want something to be drawn at a metre, it's not just drawn slightly off angled or it's just shy of a meter. I want it to be a hundred percent on point. And I love, that's what I like about, you know, computer aided drawing is that you can, you know, click to things and, and, and you can't hide, you can't hide from the detail. You know, if something's not, a, if something's out by two mil on the computer screen, it's going to be out by two mil, if not more when you build it. So, right. Now, that's not in any way a creative process, right? That's that's purely a more methodical, quantitative process. Um, when you talk about creativity, often a sketch might look right and then it's about how do we adapt something that's very brushstroke driven into something that's very precise and there's a process in that too. Mm. But... Um, there's something nice about being able to do both well, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned before another challenge was finding or trusting the trades because there often is quite a big disconnect between the drawings, no matter how well detailed and what actually gets built. So just to provide some value to the subcontractors and trades people out there, what are some ways that they can add value to the process for you? For us, it's about getting that conversation occurring early on. 
in, in our design process and also the continued relationship with a particular contractor or subcontractor because we do it once, we can do it well. Next time we do it, we're not making the same mistakes again and also the details are tweaked just that little bit more and, and, and each time we do it, it gets better and better. Um, errors, I think it all comes down to that, that you know, mitigating errors or trying something, seeing some, seeing a pathway to do something even better, but you can only see that once you give it a go. You know, in a way, architecture is a prototype every time we do it. But there are certain things that you can get a handle of and simplify each time you do them. Yeah. Uh, and so that helps with the scale aspect as well, especially if, uh, and I feel that same way as well from my perspective, uh, you know, from job to job, you are building a prototype every single time, you know, in a kitchen, you might have three different finger pull details. You're going to have different grain directions, different finishes, different panel yeah. gaps. So by working with the same architects, that does help cr create some semblance of a system and fixed process within yeah. the, within the operation. Otherwise it's so fragmented and scattered. Yeah. And it's also interesting with like in that sense of process, because there becomes an, it's not written down in any way, but you stern, you, 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 you realize how one another likes to work, you know, and you start to get in the mind of each other. And so without even saying anything, you can almost pick the, the right, um, or make the right decision. You know, you say, Oh, Charlie, you know, I know that he can't do that that detail that way, but he's got it. If we, if we, you know, if we adjust it and we do it this way, I know he can he can still still achieve it. And likewise, you might say, "Oh, Gil hates those butt ends or something like that." And you know, and so you you present something to me that's already halfway to what I like, and then the conversation is is, is faster and we resolve things quicker. So in this world where architects are, and builders are constantly struggling to find high quality contractors, what are some things that you think architects can do, whether it's in their documentation or the way or their process or how they're communicating to increase the probability or the chances of them finding the best people that they can trust for their projects? It's a hard one. I don't know if it's about what we put in our documentation. Obviously, the more, more detail, the better. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to time and cost um, and trying to convince whether it might be the client uh, or the contractor that it might cost a little bit more to do something this way. But if everything's been documented and detailed, it's a faster process in the end. But it's a hard conversation to have. We had a project um, in South Melbourne and... I still think the project would have been better having done some stack bond brickwork inside. They chose to do, you know, your sort of common bonds, your stretcher bonds. And the project would have been stronger had that been the case, in my opinion. And I think it's these fine lines that you draw between one or the other and they make a huge difference in my mind. And I think that you, yeah, the, the more you can push, the better that project's going to be. But ultimately, I don't know how other people view it. They may not see that. Yeah. So you focus, So you just spoke to the alignment of the architect's vision to the, arc, to, to the client's 
perception of value or how much money they want to spend. It's perception or of value. Yeah. Yeah. So how how do you? That's that's a serious struggle, I, I imagine, because the architects, because you, you're not doing this uh, even you know more than fifty percent because you're trying to make money. It's it's about creating something. Well, it's about creating something. Well, that's it. I don't. You know the way we structure our fees. I don't get paid more because I get stack bond in a project <laughs> or stretcher bond. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So so it's very much about um, almost you take on. I always like to think of the project as its own entity, and you take on that project, and it becomes something that you fight for to give it life and to mm-hmm. give it um, a strong architectural identity. And in order to do that, yeah, you have to have fights sometimes with people because you you want it to mm. to to come about in the best way possible. I like that. Something that I have found interesting on architect-run projects is by removing the client from micro decisions, you do start to accumulate some of those things that do ultimately add value to the project. You know, one example that I like to give quite often is and this is rather anecdotal, but, you know, pocket doors are specified a lot more when the architect is making that decision as opposed to when the client is. Because when they hear these the two sets of doors are going to cost them $8,000, they compartmentalise that one specific decision without considering the broader context of what we're trying to achieve on the project. And most of the time they'd say, no way, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also funny because when you think about cost in that way, what I find often occurs is they'll say, oh, I'm not going to spend, to use your example, $8,000 mm. on pocket doors. But at the same time, if you were to use another system, it might end up costing them five. So the difference isn't eight to zero. Mm. You know, it might be five to eight. And that extra $3,000 goes so much further if you can, you know, for example, keep doors out of the way. Mm. You know, uh, it's funny with, with pocket doors on joinery, I tend not to like them because then I think people leave doors open and they expose the, the interior of, mm. of what's inside. For example, you know, back to Ari's mm. joinery unit, the reason why I didn't want doors that would retract back and be out of the way all the time is because then I feel that he's going to just leave them open and the television's going to be on view all the time. It's this big black hole, you know, in the center of the room. So for that very reason, I wanted just, um, you know, I think we used 135 degree hinges or something like that. Yeah. And so the, the doors can go out of the way while you're watching TV and then the doors can go back into place when you're finished. So there's a sense of order. So when the room is not being used one way, it's, it's sort of clean and it's, you know, it's um, tidy. And, and I think that visual um, untidiness that's left can sometimes be a disruption to to uh, living in the home. Right, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So which package for you in the construction process is the most difficult to procure or you've had most challenges with? A lot of our projects are literally like millimetres, um, well, they have to be millimetre perfect, and I find that, um, and we've had great teams most of the time on this type of stuff, but we're finding we're doing a lot of work in steel at the moment and that steel work has to be done by someone very good. And it's not about procuring that work, it's about making sure that, that the contractor or the client understands that the steel work has to be millimetre perfect 
because we leave a lot of things just bare. We don't cover much, you know. We're doing some multi-res work where, yes, a lot of it's all con- co- concrete um, structure and a lot of it has to be covered from a fire rating perspective or or um, an easeability, ease an ease of, of building, easeability, is that a word? I don't know. Building feasibility? Easeability. Build, yeah. No, that's not a word. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. The point is that um, the idea is to make the build, you know, you've got you to understand what you're building, who's building it, and if, we're, if we can put aside, say, a large multi-res project, when we're doing something that we know we're doing an office fit out in uh, in Windsor at the moment, and we did some steel glazing, internal steel glazing. Now that has to be millimeter perfect, it has to be measured on site. Someone has to come in, and I'm finding that that the better that contractor is, that steel fabricator is, the better that that detail is going to turn out. So it's very important in our work. To, to make sure that we're using the right contractor. Right, and you're finding that steel is... Steel's hard. Steel's hard yeah. to find. We've got someone good at the moment who we're using. Um, we had someone great as well. We used on on our on our project called Prior. But, yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's it, it, a lot of guys don't want to do so much steel work, you know? Like, for example, the contract we had at... at um, our project prior, fantastic work. Like you couldn't get better steel work. But on the next project, he just, he didn't seem enthusiastic about about taking on another project just like that. And that might be because it's tedious, it's arduous, um, and yeah, I, I'm not really sure. Maybe, mm. but yeah, it can be tricky. Yeah, it can be tricky. Isn't isn't that often the issue? Is that the guys that can do really really amazing work often don't have the scale or the productive capacity? Well, that's that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. they're more so they spend, artists. Yeah, yeah, and they're spending they're spending every single waking hour mm. on your project, and they don't necessarily see the time at you know for what it is. They see some simple line drawings. Looks everything looks very simple on plan and on mm. our drawings, but then when we start to align everything to everything, it's constant measurements. It's you know, every like I said, everything has to be millimeter perfect, and so it becomes a little bit tiresome, I suppose, for yeah, for contractors or or subcontractors, mm. yeah. So, just a, a bit of a selfish question because I'm curious for the insight. What are you looking for in a joinery contractor? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you some the, the positives I liked when when we did our small little thing together. Um, the shop drawings were, were fantastic. The the site measurements were good, but it's also the willingness to discuss details, which I like, rather than an assumption of I'll just do it this way. It's that discussion, you coming to me and saying, hey, I was thinking about doing it this way. Is that correct? But also sampling, you know. Um, not every joiner provides us with samples, and I find that frustrating, you know, because... Then when something's finished and you say, well, that's not exactly what we thought it was going to be, you know, you end up having to have a bit of an argument mm. about it. But the provision of samples alleviates all of that concern. And it's something so yeah. simple to me, you know? Yeah, I do. So there, there is a, 
So there's a cabinet makers Facebook group that that um, is, has been a really great resource for me. And there's this common sentiment on there that I find a lot of people share is, why do we have to do shop drawings? Isn't the architect doing their job? You know what? And and I feel like a lot of these guys just just want to have someone come to them and say, "Here are the cabinets I want you to build. Just build these cabinets." Yeah. yeah. My my feeling is that well, you know, these people probably aren't suitable for doing the quote-unquote architectural work um, if they don't understand the value of that shop drawing yeah. to bring to the process. But do, do you have any thoughts on that? Or Well, I look, I, I see the value in shop drawings because I think that, sure, I, 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 can, I can go a lot further and detail more of my drawings, but you might come back to me and saying, hey, I actually can't do that. You know, my, my machines don't don't allow me to, to, to cut something in that particular way or actually what you've drawn has uses a hinge that's going to cost us i don't know a couple of grand to Mm. to fabricate maybe there's a different solution a cheaper solution so it's i i think to say that it the architect isn't isn't doing his job or should the cabinet maker just do it entirely you know Mm. there has to be it can't be one or the other i think it has to be somewhere in the middle and where you draw that line, I think, will depend on the architect, will depend on the cabinet maker. But you're going to get a better result if you have a better understanding and you collaborate with one another to create something. I think also that what we do anyways is we like to rethink about things sometimes, maybe we're reinventing the wheel, mm. you know, and we're, and we're wasting our time. But in essence, we're trying to, to think about things differently and unless you have original thought you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again and you're not necessarily going to improve things so yeah yeah. it's a tricky one i understand Mm. i mean at the same time i just say to those people you know okay so so then don't work on an architectural project you Mm. know yeah stick stick to maybe being a design and build operation yourself Mm. you know seek Mm. out people who just want you to come in and measure things and you just put it into place yeah so you strike me as someone who's probably thinking a lot into the future and thinking about where Ritz and Gugassian or where you are headed. Um, what is your vision for? We've started doing some projects that I think are strong um, from a conceptual point of view and I think they're strong in their execution. I'd like to see these projects go through and 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 be finalized and and be built, and I think that's the hardest thing in the sort of short to medium term for us, is taking great projects, and actually getting them off the ground. A lot of projects, we find clients get fatigued through the town planning process, and they'll be like, you know what, we've got the permit, let's try and sell the site. The moment they they're able to sell the site, we had one project where. You know, the client sold the site um, after we had done gone through town planning, and there was there was a there was a there was financial incentive to sell, right? So it's these it's these things that you know keep on keep some keep some projects from being constructed. So from the short to medium term, if you said to me, "Hey, Gil, what do you want?" You know, in the next two years, I'd say every single project we've got on our books to be constructed. That would be fantastic. Um, what about further down the track? Fur, yeah, further down, further down. 10, 20, 30 years. Like well, building upon that, uh, we would love to do some institutional, institutionalized work, civic buildings. That 
those type of projects, that'd be fantastic. That's what I'd aim for. Um, I think that architecture can be, at, at a small scale, it can be a very um, individualistic pursuit. You know, clients come to us for a family home. Not many other people would see that home and get benefits of that architectural envelope. So if we can do some more public buildings, that'd be fantastic because I'd love to be able to um, share that that architectural um, journey, that architectural endeavour with, with a wider audience. You know, I think there'd be something valuable in that. Right, so that's a really that that's a really interesting perspective on scale. So in scaling might not be doing bigger, badder, you know, projects. It's how many people am I affecting? How many people are experiencing the work that I'm doing? Yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah, and I also think that um, in a in a completely different from a different point of view as well. Um, I think that our cities are interesting. Um, ever-changing organism or entity or something like that. Um, maybe it's just a collage. But in the sense that it would be interesting to see how cities in the future um, adapt to ever sort of demanding heritage overlays, etc., mm. and how architecture can sit within that. And I think that in the future as a studio, we're seeing a lot of it now at a small scale, having to keep parts of buildings and doing additions at the back because of heritage reasons, keeping facades, you know. Um, and I, I think there's something in that and I'd like to see how that can, um, that idea can be extrapolated into larger projects in the future for the studio. And um, and also how, I guess, communities can be connected, th- you know, by keeping built forms of our city, how we can keep, keep those community connections to, to landmarks, to, to buildings, and how we can create new volumes, exciting new forms out of yeah. out of that same relationship, keeping that relationship intact. Yeah. So we're running out of time, so I guess I just want to close on who should get in touch with Ritz and Gugassian? Someone with nice large budgets. No, I'm only joking. Anyone. I mean, we, 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 we take on a variety of projects. Um, our smallest project we're doing now would be a little extension um, to a home and that's just putting a kitchen, dining, living at the end. Mm. And at the other end of the scale, we're doing multi-res. So, you know, it's not about, I joke, but it's not about the budget, it's about the project. We want interesting projects and um, we're more excited about that journey through the project than, than, than anything else. Interesting project, someone who can align with your vision and your architectural for sure. philosophy. For sure. And who you can share mutual trust with. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Nicely put. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure, Charlie. Take care.